0: So today we're kicking off a new series. I, I promised you. Um, we've been retelling Matthew's account of the life of Jesus for the last two years, and so we concluded that message last week. I, and I promise we move on. Um, last week it was a message on doubt. We said that doubt was a part of the journey in following Jesus. That that in the beginning, when Jesus first called the disciples, there was doubt of who this guy was. In the middle of the story, um, there was lack of doubt by the disciples, and then. At the end of the story, we found out the last chapter of Matthew, all the miracles, the cross, the resurrection, the return of Jesus, and some disciples worshiped him and some still doubted him. And so we said that within the faith journey, we come to these, these different moments, right? We called them boxes or we called them phases, and we, that we, we begin in the first box of faith and we identified it as it was order, it was foundation. That was where we found this um, beginning. And then from there, many of us, we've entered into a phase of deconstruction to our faith, where our faith may begin to unravel, or answers that we were given to how and why questions we had no longer seem to add up or made sense now. And so we began to question our faith, and what do I even really believe about God? And then from there, a healthy spiritual life moves you from that first box and through the second box, and then into this third phase, this third stage, this third box, And we use names like the reconstruction or the reorder or the reorientation of our faith. And so that leads us right into our next series. For the next year, we're going to be going through the book by Brian McLaren said, We Make the Road by Walking. This is a year-long quest for spiritual formation, reorientation, and activation. And so some of us... This will help you begin the, the formation of your spirituality. This journey with God may be new or maybe a uh, newer. You have lots of questions. You're looking for answers. For others, you've been in the box of deconstructing your faith, right? Old answers are not working. Things are not adding up. The faith of your childhood or the faith of your parents is no longer your faith. You seek something new, something fresh. The order you thought you had bumped up against the realities of life. And then there was chaos, and so you, you sought reorder. You want to get back on your path towards Jesus. You've missed a turn somewhere. Your, your Google map needed updating. Life hit, and you became disoriented, and so you will need this reorientation. But for all of us, the hope is that this leads us to activation, that this journey is one of movement, that we begin to put hands and feet to our faith and that we're inspired to see the world around us change and we long for God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Watch this intro video for this book.
1: You are not finished yet. You are in the making. You have the capacity to learn, mature, think, change, and grow. You also have the freedom to stagnate, regress, constrict, and lose your way. Which road will you take? What's true of you is also true for every community of people, including our spiritual communities. Like the individuals who constitute them, they are unfinished and in the making. They have the capacity to move forward if they choose, and the freedom to stagnate and regress. Which road will they follow in the years ahead? Does their future depend solely on the action or inaction of officials in the headquarters of religious bureaucracies? Do the rest of us have to wait until somebody somewhere figures things out and tells the rest of us what to do? I believe that all of us play a role in choosing and creating our futures as individuals and as communities. We don't need to wait passively for history to happen to us. We can become protagonists in our own story. We can make the road by walking. Growing numbers of us believe that we are in the early stages of a new moment of emergence, pulsing with danger and promise. In this catalytic period, all our spiritual traditions will be challenged and all will change, some negatively and reactively, tightening like an angry fist, others positively and constructively opening like extended arms. More and more of us want to participate in that positive and constructive opening. We want to explore new possibilities, to develop unfulfilled potential, to discover new resources to bless, inspire, and enliven. We don't shrink back from this moment. We feel God is calling us to walk into it with faith, hope, and love.
0: So, who is Brian McLaren? Um, I was introduced to his work uh, over 15 years ago, um, was immediately a fan of his writing, and over the years it's helped me form and reform some of my thinking. And so I'm excited to share him with you. But quickly, uh, just uh, or briefly about Brian McLaren. He is an author, a speaker, an activist, and a public theologian. After teaching college English, Brian was a church planter and pastored in Baltimore and Washington, D.C. for over 20 years. He is a popular conference speaker and a frequent guest lecturer for denominational and ecumenical leadership gatherings in the United States and internationally, and is a theologian in residence at Life in the Trinity Ministry. Brian's writing spans over a dozen books, including Why Did Jesus, Moses, the Buddha, and the Mohammed Cross the Road? His acclaimed A New Kind of Christian uh, Trilogy, A Generous Orthodoxy and Naked Spirituality, Frequent guests of television, radio, and news media programs. Brian is also an active and popular blogger, a musician, and an avid outdoor enthusiast. Brian is married to Grace, and they have four adult children and four grandchildren. You can learn more at his website at www.brianmclaren.net. And so this is what we're planning, that each week uh, we'll journey together through a chapter at a time. And that journey should last us a year, 52 chapters, 52 Sundays. And so whether it's me or Jody, Matt, Debbie, one of the elders, one of you, you know, uh, we're going we're gonna to go through a chapter at a time each week. But I would encourage all of you to go get the book uh, so that you could follow along, um, whether it's the Kindle or the audiobook or hard copy. Um, and if you want us to order one for you, we can. They're $11 and you can put a card in the basket that says you want us to order your book and we'll get you one. It can be here by next Sunday. But we're going to begin today in the 27th chapter of the book. Because the book follows the church calendar. And chapter 27 is the beginning of Lent. Chapter 33 is Easter and chapter 18 is Christmas. And so we're following along in order. And the book is designed for that, for small groups and large groups to read together. His suggestion is that we start it at the chapter that matches the time of year we started. So chapter 27, it happens to begin a third section of his book. There are four sections within the book. The first one is called Alive in the Story of Creation." The second part is Alive in the Adventure of Jesus. The fourth part is Alive in the Spirit of God. And the third part, which we're starting today, is Alive in Global Uprising. I'm going to read something to you real quick. And I'm going to reference this book a lot, and that'll be the same probably for every week. But let me read this. It says, Joining the Adventure of Jesus is a starting line, not a finish line. It leads us into a lifetime of learning and action. It challenges us to stand up against the ways things have been and the way things are, to help create new possibilities for the way things can and should be. It enlists us as contemplative activists in an ongoing up- uprising of peace and freedom, justice and compassion. In part three, we focus on what it means for us to join in his adventure. The first five chapters have been written for us in the traditional season of Lent, which is which we're in right now. They are dedicated to Jesus's most concentrated teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And rather than having multiple scripture readings during the season, we will read one passage multiple times to encourage deeper reflection. So each, each chapter has a, a, a few scripture references, but for these first few in this series, um, there's just one verse. So uh, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and you're like, Pastor, you lied to us. You said we were done with Matthew. I get it. I get it. Just, I'm, just, I'm just going with Brian McLaren here. It's kind of like weaning you off of Matthew, right? We're just going to give you a little bit each week at a time, right? So Matthew chapter 5. All right, we have the story. Jesus uh, um, and, and Matthew, we have this g- story of him beginning his ministry. But Matthew starts where? What is Matthew's first story of Jesus? Is his what? His birth, thank you. So we we got Jesus, uh, it was a long time ago, it was like two years ago, right? So Matthew begins in the story uh, of Jesus' birth and his escape to Nazareth and back to to, um, to where he, uh, he ends up in Galilee. Uh, then from there it goes to what? It skips to his what? What did Jesus, his baptism, thank you. So we find Jesus at the Jordan River with, with John the Baptist, right? And they get this little debate whether or not I should baptize you or not. And so he does, and, and Jesus gets baptized, and from there he is named the Beloved son of God, right? This is huge because this is our baptism, right? Where we're named sons and daughters of God, but not just that, but the beloved sons and daughters of God. And so when we practice our baptism, we're reminded that, that that naming ceremony of our baptism, that we're the beloved sons and daughters. And from there, where does Jesus go? Right to the wilderness he goes right in the wilderness and so i got two my two boy scouts thank you guys eagle scouts here in the, in the room so we we, we go right in and it does nothing to do with the bible or not they're just good guys all right so he goes right into the wilderness where he's tempted where that identification that identity he found in god as the beloved is challenged multiple times by the enemy and jesus just says no i'm not going to let your voice speak over me in fact the voice of my father has named me the beloved and i'm going to stand in that and he goes right out of the wilderness and then he does what what's his first move some whispers. What? Come on, no, You can't be wrong. What? Calls his disciples. He goes right to the water and starts calling these fishermen out and saying, "Hey, Andrew, Peter, James, John, let's go. We'll follow me." And so this is where he's at. Matthew five, and he gets to the famous. Braden said, "Sermon on the Mount." She didn't have the first four in her Bible, but the the chapter five, "Sermon on the Mount," which really wasn't a big mountain because they're not from the Appalachians, right? They're you know back over there. They're like mountain on the incline. It's like the Sermon on the Incline. It was just a little mountain. So he gets down there, and he gathers his disciples around, like these guys, these guys. He doesn't have them all. He's got a few more at this point, because we, we know that even Matthew, he's not, on the, he's not on the trip yet, right? But he's writing about it, which is kind of weird, because he wasn't there. So he's sitting there with this group of guys, and he starts having this class and starts teaching, them, and then other people start gathering around, you know? And so you get these, these, these great renditions, artist renditions of this crowd gathered in the Sermon on the Incline. And so... Um, Jesus teaching his disciples about what the kingdom of God is like. And the first thing he says is what? Blessed are the, and so what, if you are one of the listeners, you hear Jesus open up. Blessed are the, what do you think the next word is going to be like? What is he going to say in this moment? Like, who was blessed in those days? And it's not very different from today. When we think of what blessings, what do, what do we think those are? We think money. We think good health. You're blessed if you have health. If you have stuff, if you have a good job, if you, if you have power or, or privilege, like if you're an American, right, you're blessed. And I know some of you think Jesus waves an American flag, but to be honest, I can't find America or United States anywhere in the Bible. And I cross-reference the King James Version too, so it wasn't there. But I know we think U.S. born we're blessed right if, if it's not you know rich or healthy or powerful or privileged then, then what is it if, if that's not what he says what is he saying so Matthew 5 starting in in verse 1 and it should be on the screen behind me I'm going to read out of the, the voice translation and there's a good reason because of something a word that's used in here but let me start reading chapter 5 verse 1 Jesus says and he began to teach him blessed are the spiritually poor the kingdom of heaven is theirs blessed are those who mourn they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek and gentle, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, their kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11, it says, and blessed are you, blessed are all of you, when people will persecute you or denigrate you or despise you or tell lies about you on my account. But when this happens, rejoice. Be glad. Remember that God's prophets have been persecuted in the past and know that in heaven you have a great reward. Could you imagine being there, sitting there, on the, right there in the moment, and what was going through their minds? Those gathered around Jesus listening to this. Say what? Blessed are, are who? Man, this guy is Out of touch, man. He does not know what it means to be blessed. Poor, those who mourn meek and gentle, the hungry, the thirsty. Does he not know that mercy is a sign of weakness? That peacemakers obviously say that because they have no power. And did he just tell us that if we choose to follow him, that we're going to be persecuted? Like the prophets that went before us? And then we're supposed to rejoice in that? How many of you love to fish? How many love to catch fish? More than like to fish, right? How many of you like just like being out in the lake or the river, just sitting there in the peace, right? Could you imagine what was going through the mind of James and John and Peter and Andrew, these fishermen? This dude interrupted our fishing trip and told us to follow him, and now he's telling us to rejoice because we're going to be persecuted for following him. W-T-H, what did we sign up for, right? Like, this dude's crazy, and maybe we can slip out unnoticed. The crowd's gotten big, right? And you can sit there. John's like, I'm texting Dad now. Sorry, Dad, big mistake. Get the boat ready. We're coming home, right? You can see him doing that. Like, you know, we're out of here. Blessed are the poor. Are you kidding me? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the meek and gentle, those that mourn. Those are not things that I want to identify with, Jesus, I'm much happier being a fisherman. Matthew, he wasn't even here to, there to hear this, right? He probably would have remained a tax collector if the guys would have started with that, right? Jesus just said, follow me. I didn't know. I had money then. What's happening is this. Jesus has begun to open their eyes to a new way of living. That this is what it means to be a Christ follower. That, that his way would now have to be our way. For his kingdom to show up amongst us. This is what his followers would have to embody. And these guys, just like you and I, spent our entire lives being identified uh, with voices from this world, right? We've been taught to find our identity in the things that we do, and the things that we we have, or then the things that other people say about us. And now this guy wants us to identify with the poor and broken, the outcasts and outsiders, the marginalized, the oppressed, the others? And Jesus, he gets their unrest, right? He, he feels their anxiety. He knows what James just texted Zebedee, right? I didn't read minds and stuff. So he says this. Get this. This is why I love the voice version of this story. In verse 13. It says, you, beloved, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt becomes bland and loses its saltiness, can anything make it salty again? No, it's useless. It's tossed out, thrown away, or trampled. And then he says, verse 14, And you, beloved, are the light of the world. A city built on a hilltop cannot be hidden. Similarly, it it would be silly to light a lamp and then hide it under a bowl. When someone lights a lamp, she puts it on a table or a desk or a chair, and the light... The, illuminates the entire house. says, you are like that illuminating light. Let your light shine everywhere you go that you may illumine creation so men and women everywhere may see your good actions, may see creation at its fullest, may see your devotion to me, and may turn and praise your Father in heaven because of it. See, a major theme of the Bible, but often forgotten throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, is that you and I are God's beloved. And God wants to remind each one of us that he loves you, that you are a son and I love you, that you are his daughter and he loves you. So if I could communicate one message this morning, it's not that you and I don't love God, it's just that we don't understand how much God loves us. And the story throughout the Bible, my story and your story, as humans, it seems we're always trying to replace God's love with something else. Idols and jobs and kids and relationships and hobbies. And then we place our identity in that something else. And that gets all the time of our life. It it defines us. At the same time, we're asking, well, is there more? What's the purpose of all this? And and you and I, we just have one life to live. And so we don't want to be identified with things like, like what what I do. I want that to define me and identify with my job. Look at me. Look at what I have, what what I've done look at what I've been involved in, my job, my accomplishments, my schedule. As humans, it's very easy to, uh, for us to find our value in our work, to find our worth in the things that we accomplish. A negative consequence is that we begin to di- define ourselves in our failures and in our past, in our, our addictions. Or we identify ourselves like this. I, I am what I have. My family, my business, my house, my health, my money. But sooner or later life happens right you're diagnosed with a life-threatening disease you lose your job you go bankrupt you get a divorce life is full of ups and downs and this emotional roller coaster and so we live in the tension of trying to do and do and do and trying to impress worried about what others think worried about our success success because now we're identifying with what people say about us. It's like, that's the number one place we put our identity is what someone else says. Like, how many likes do we get on Facebook? How many followers do we have on Instagram? We put so much stock in what others think about us. We want everyone to like us. And we thought, uh, if we thought of someone not liking us, that just drives us crazy, right? I shared the story before. Donner, Donald Miller, one of my favorite authors, he was at a, he did a story conference where he goes and He's a great communicator, um, but he said he was on the plane ride home, and the two guys in front of him were talking about the conference and said, man, that speaker was horrible. It was was so boring. He was so out of touch. I can't believe we paid money. I can't believe we had to come here and do this, be a part of this. And it it just, it, it killed him it ate him up. He couldn't couldn't believe. He thought, I'm a failure. I can't believe this. I've wrecked this conference for these guys, and so I got to make up for it. I got to stop them, and so they got off the plane, and he stopped them at the luggage, and he's like, hey, guys, I want to say I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry for uh, what happened at the conference. Usually, I'm on, but I wasn't this time, and I I feel like I I, I failed the place. I'm sorry. I wish I could refund your money, and they kind of looked at him, and they were like, you were at the State Farms Insurance Conference, too? (laughs) Wrong conference, right? <laughs> so it wasn't even about him, right? And he was killing him, and it wasn't even him. God has come to give us a different strategy. God has come to speak some different words over your life. And so when we wrestle with questions, questions like that who am I? Uh, wh- what does God want for me? What does He want me to do? What is the purpose of my life? Jesus says this You and I are the beloved the salt of the earth, the light to the world. And he uses the word blessed, and he uses the word beloved to address the questions of identity. It's not about what I do. It's not about what they say. It's not about what I have. It's about who he says you are. Understanding what he says over our lives and who he is. And when we understand the voice of God over us, When you get how much he loves you, when you can find your identity in being the beloved. See, Jesus, he understood what it meant to have God's voice speak those words over him, right? So you and I, we need to have that same understanding or life will wreck you. It's a game changer when you wake up in the morning with the understanding of how much God really loves you. Wouldn't that help you navigate through some of the ups and downs in life? When criticism comes your way, that God loves you. When rumors go around town, it doesn't matter, God loves me. When your people at school or or work say something about you, it doesn't matter, God loves me. That is what matters. Not what you do, your business, your ministry, your coaching, your teaching. It's not what uh, you have. It's not what they say. That you can look in the mirror and say that I am beloved by the God of the universe. When we understand that God loves us, that his favor is upon us, that he is pleased, and that we are his beloved, no matter the circumstance or storm, his voice speaks over that. And Jesus modeled that for us in the wilderness. And again, it's not that you don't love God, and so in turn, God doesn't love you, but you just haven't fully understood how much God loves you. At his baptism, the word Were spoken over him. This is my son. He was like, there was a lot of commotion at the river. God's like, hey, quiet down. I got something to say before we go any further. Before Jesus does another thing, I need to remind him of who he is. This is my son whom I love. And with him, I am pleased. This is my beloved. And Jesus took the words spoken over him at his baptism on his journey. And the same words God spoke over Jesus, he speaks over you and I. He wants to remind you today that you are the beloved. And it's out of that place where we begin this journey, where we make the road by walking. Life is not about you and me, but we display our lives for him. We've been given for him, and now we're called to go into community and love. So last week we said the great commission, that all authority has been given to me. So those of you who doubt and those of you who worship, now I send you. You have been blessed with everything from God. And the same power that I had, you have through the Holy Spirit. Lives transformed, storms were stopped, demons were shook, captives were set free. You are the beloved, the salt of the earth, and the light to the world. We go back to that voice that was spoken over us at our baptism. The same voice that was spoken over Jesus at the Jordan River. God speaks that. To you again this morning. Reminding you of his love. And then Jesus. Goes into community to serve. We're chosen. God speaks over our lives. That we walk in the same. Brokenness and we. Give back. I'm going to invite the band. To join me as we we wrap this up. One last. uh, Another thing I want to read from this. Book page 129 in this chapter. It says the identity will give us. Very important roles in this world. As creative nonconformists, we will be difference makers, aliveness activists, catalysts for change. Like salt that brings out the best flavors in food, we will bring out the best in our community and society. Also like salt, we will have a a preservative function, opposing corruption and decay. Like light that penetrates and eradicates darkness, we will radiate health, goodness, and well-being to the warm and enlighten those around us. Simply by being who we are, living boldly and uh, freely in this new identity as salt and light. We will make a difference as long as we don't lose our saltiness or try to hide our light. We'll be tempted, no doubt, to let ourselves be tamed, toned down, shut up, and glossed over. But Jesus means for us to stand apart from the status quo, to stand up for the matters, for what matters and to stand out as part of a solution rather than part of a problem. He means for our lives to overcome the blandness and darkness of evil with the salt and light of good works. Instead of drawing attention to ourselves, those good works will point towards God. Wow, people will say, when I see the goodness and kindness of your lives, I can't believe there's a God, I can't believe there's a good and kind God out there too. The challenge is to wake up, people. People. To begin the journey of spiritual formation, reorientation, and activation. So church friends, fellow believers of the way, we have to wake up. We have to stand up and get going because we make the road by walking. So I know some of you may look around the room and you look and you're like, "Eh, I can never be like one of those because I have this in my past or that in my past. And your identity is in your past instead of who you are in Christ now. But I'm encouraging you to not find your identity in who you were or even who you are now, but who you are in Christ tomorrow as the beloved. Jesus says, you are sons and daughters of God, so don't let your past define you. There's no condemnation for those who are in God. God uses unlikely people, and guess what? You are the most unlikely people I know, (laughs) right? And that's good news, And so as a church, we want to follow Jesus. We want to go where he goes. We want to serve how he serves and love how he loves. It's easier not to. It may not be the life that we dreamed of. But it says this. But when this happens, rejoice. And know that in heaven, you have a great reward. God, in the next minute, we're just going to close out in one song. And we want to be challenged as followers of Christ, followers of the way, to be more like you, to find our identity in you as the beloved. This is how... The benediction goes here. It says, we are a circle of learners and seekers alive in God's story of creation. We are disciples who follow our leader, alive in the adventure of Jesus. We are an uprising and a new way of living transformed by the Spirit of God. So let us go forth in joy and peace to love and serve our God and our neighbors. Amen. Last song together and then you're dismissed.